This evening's reading can be found as Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. The sheep and the goats. <clears throat> when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on, the right, on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He'll reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did, you did not do for one of these least, of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they'll go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you so much that you have spoken to us. Thank you that you speak to us because you love us. Please, would you help us to understand what you've written for us tonight. Help us to live in the light of it. Amen. Well, in the news this week, there's been uh, lots of discussion about various exam boards. So the allegation is that some exam boards have been leaking crucial information to teachers about what will be in certain exams. And of course, that means that teachers can uh, know what to focus on, how to help their pupils be ready for the exams. They can, they can leave out some of the course and really focus on other parts of the course. And uh, of course, that's completely wrong. It's not fair to give certain people that uh, advantage when it comes to exams. I guess we can all relate to that feeling, can't we, of, of having an exam coming up and, and longing to know what will be in that exam. If only we could somehow see the, the exam paper, then we could know how to prepare. 
I guess we've all had that feeling, whether uh, recently or in uh, days gone by, but uh, we can relate to that feeling, can't we, of, of longing to know what to expect in that exam, longing to know what matters and what doesn't matter, what can we afford to miss out, and what are the really key things. Well, tonight, we're going to see, I think, that Jesus goes far further than any exam board when it comes to the future. He gives away the whole game. He tells us exactly what to expect, not regarding some exam that we may be sitting in a few weeks' time, but about a much greater moment that will certainly come for the whole world, the moment when Christ returns. Over the last few weeks, we've seen two parables that give us a a window into the return of Christ. Tonight is not a parable. It doesn't begin with that little phrase, the kingdom of heaven will be like something. No, instead, this is more of of a photograph or even maybe a video of what will definitely happen in the future on that day when Christ returns. And in this uh, final section of Matthew 25, Jesus gives the game away completely about what we should expect on that great day. Not given to a, a, a chosen few that they may gain some advantage over others, but given so that the whole world may be prepared on that day for when Christ returns, including us here tonight. So what can we expect when Christ returns? What do we need to know? What matters and what doesn't matter? Well, I've got three points to help us, I hope, understand what we're being told tonight by Jesus. The first point is this, the return of the king. The return of the king. We've heard over the last two weeks about Jesus as the groom who will come back to the wedding feast. We've heard about the master who will return to his estate. Tonight, we hear about the king he will come to judge the world. So verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. The return of the king. That little title there, that the Son of Man, is often used by Jesus to describe himself in in ways that are sometimes concealed, in ways that are humble and understated. So, for example, in Matthew 26, verse 2, just our next chapter there, uh, Jesus says, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. And I think this world often has that view of Jesus as someone uh, who is humble. Think of sweet Jesus, meek and mild, gentle and serving others. A little baby, maybe born in a manger. We think of him this time of year. A man who is given over to humble service. A man who came to die on a cross. A man who is scorned and mocked by many. And indeed a man whose name is taken in vain in offices and rooms around this city every day. People have that view of this man, a humble man who is sweet and meek and mild. But the fact is, one day this son of man, this son of man will return in all of his heavenly glory to sit on the throne that belongs to him. And the world has never seen 
glory like this. The angels have from eternity past, and they have been bowing down before this Son of Man, worshiping him. But one day when the king returns, the whole world, the nations will see the heavenly glory of this Son of Man, the man who was once mocked and scorned, who returns as the king of the nations. If you've uh, ever read or seen the films of The Lord of the Rings, you'll know one of the key storylines that runs through all the books is about this, this man who starts off in a very humble way, this understated man called Strider or, or Aragorn. Uh, no one really knows who he is or what he's doing, but as the story goes, gradually he steps forward and becomes the man he really is. And people start to realize, in fact, he is the king of Middle-earth. And so by the, the final book called The Return of the King, he, he steps forward as the true king and everyone praises him and worships him as the great king who has come to save the people. Well, something similar is happening, but on a grander scale with the Son of Man. Yes, Jesus comes the first time as, as a man who is meek and is coming to serve, but he will come the second time as the king who judges the nations. The return of the king. Well, what will happen when this king returns? Secondly, we see the verdict of the king. The verdict of the king. So glance down at verse 32. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. I'm told that in first century Palestine, shepherds used to combine their flocks of sheep and goats and they would take them out to the pastures for the day. Um, they would allow the goats and the sheep to mingle around together as they uh, fed on the hillsides. But when it came to the evening time and the shepherd brought the animals back into the farm, the, the shepherd would separate the sheep and the goats. And I'm told that from a distance, it's quite hard to spot the difference sometimes between a sheep and the goats. But the shepherd knows. He knows how to spot the difference. And so he's able to very skillfully at night to, to separate the two flocks into sheep and goats. And that's the picture we find before us tonight as the king returns to sit on his throne and he expertly divides the nations into two. If you like, sheep on his, his right, that is his favored side, and goats on his left, that is uh, not his favored side. And what is the verdict that the king gives to these two groups? Well, for the sheep, it is... It is good. In fact, it is, it is amazing. It is brilliant. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. That is some verdict to hear. What a, what a joy, what an honor for, for the king to prepare such an inheritance for the sheep. It is a wonderful picture of what lies ahead of, of many when the king returns. But what about the goats, those on his left? Well, 
Verse 41 tells us. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Some of the toughest words in the Bible, I guess. Uh, not easy to hear. And yet the king uh, utters these words to, to those on his left, the goats. The verdict of the king. I'm told that there was a line that runs down the, the Rocky Mountains in the U.S. Uh, it's, it's not a real line, but it's, it's called the Great Divide. It's, it's a watershed. Some of you are smiling. You know what I'm talking about. And I'm told that if a raindrop lands on, on one side of that Great Divide, then it'll trickle down the mountains, it'll flow into the rivers, and it'll head thousands of miles out to the Pacific Ocean, way out to the west coast of the States. But if another raindrop were to land just a few feet to the other side of that divide, it'll trickle down the different side of the Rockies, down to a different river, and head thousands of miles to the opposite side of the country and out to the ocean. And that is why it's called the Great Divide, just a few feet either side and two dramatically different end destinations. And we see here tonight a similar great divide between people who look so similar on the surface, that the sheep and the goats, all part of the same flock for a season. But when the king returns, he will divide the sheep from the goats. And their destinations will be, if you like, thousands of miles apart. The sheep welcomed into the inheritance with the king. The goats shut out for eternity from the king. That is the verdict of the king. We were thinking this week, some of us on the staff team, about why it is that we find it so hard to remember and to think forward to the return of Christ. I wonder if you ever noticed this in your life. It's... Have you ever found it hard to keep the return of Christ on the radar, on the agenda? I wonder about this last week, if you look back just in your mind about this last week, how often have you thought about the return of Christ? Or even today, how often have we thought about the return of Christ? It can be tremendously difficult to keep that thought on our minds, can't it? And I think one of the reasons why we struggle so much is that we fail to have the right view of what will happen when the king returns. You see, the world will not end with a nuclear war. Uh, the world will not end because of global warming. Uh, the world will not end when aliens invade us from outer space. No, the world will end as we know it when the king returns and he pronounces his verdict over us. All of our programs and plans and priorities will come to a screeching halt when the king arrives. And all the things that we've been investing in, all the, the, the glory of our bank account and the glory of our houses and the glory of our careers will seem like nothing compared to the glory of the king. And it is, it is this glorious moment when the king comes to pronounce his verdict, which I think we must keep on our minds if we are to remember in the busyness of our daily lives, when pressures crowd in around us, if we are to remember about the return of Christ. I, I wish I had a pound for every time someone has said to me in the last few years that they are impressed by Jesus 
they are impressed by his, his good teaching and his impressive moral uh, lifestyle. But that is all. For Jesus, uh, he, is just, he is just a wise moral teacher. He is nothing else. But I hope we can see how insufficient that view of Jesus is. You see, in this passage, Jesus is claiming to the world that he is coming to judge us. Our futures, our eternities are in his hands. Now, either he is lying or he is wrong about this point, in which case he is just about the worst teacher we've ever seen. Or he's right about the future. And if we haven't made up our minds tonight about who Jesus is, if we're still trying to think it through in our minds, can I urge you, as a matter of first importance, to decide, to find out who he is? He cannot just be a wise teacher. And for those of us who do know and love Jesus, we must remember this picture of him returning as the king of glory over the nations. The verdict of the king. Thirdly, finally, the explanation of the king. And if you've been listening carefully, you'll be wanting to know the explanation, will you not? You will be longing to know on what basis the verdict is given. We, we, we must be desperate to find out uh, the explanation of the king. And it's a surprise for both groups. I hope you can see that tonight. It's a, it's a surprise for the sheep and a surprise for the goats. And so the sheep were told in verse 35, the king says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. When did this happen, say the sheep? We don't remember doing that for you, Jesus. The answer, verse 40, the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. The explanation of the king. Now, this explanation needs some careful thought, doesn't it? We need to understand what is being said and what is not being said at this point. Is Jesus saying that the basis for his decision about us is based on whether we've been a kind person, whether we've given enough to charity, whether we've done enough good deeds for our neighbors? Is that what the king is saying here tonight? I think many people who aren't Christians have that view of Christianity, don't they? They, they think that Christianity is about being a good person, and if you're a good person, when, when the king comes back, he will welcome you into heaven. Thank you for being a good person. Well done. Come in and enjoy my happiness. That is the, the common view, but it can't be the view. It can't be the reason. It can't be the basis, can it? Let me say why it can't be. First of all, all of Scripture screams out to us that we bring nothing to the table. We come as broken people, as sinners, who are desperately in need of God's mercy and grace. We bring nothing. We cannot earn our salvation. That is the cry of Scripture. Secondly, we've just read uh, Matthew 26, verse 2, about the Son of Man who is heading off to be crucified. Why would Jesus need to die if all we had to do was to be good people to get to heaven? His death would be meaningless. 
But of course, we need his death, don't we? And thirdly, what, what, what is being said here tonight is that there is a close link between our relationship with Jesus, our love for Jesus, and how we love and care for others. That is what's being said tonight, I think. The, to the extent to which we have embraced and received and partaken of the free grace and mercy of Jesus and the extent to which we love him for it, that is the extent to which we will love those in need around us. I think that dynamic is clear from verse 45. It's put in the negative here, referring to the goat. So in verse 45, the king says, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Do you see that link between um, what we, our view of Jesus, our relationship with Jesus, and what we do for others? You see, the goats uh, did not serve Jesus. They did not know Jesus. And that is why they did not care for the least of Jesus' brothers. Or put it another way, um, we are only saved by faith, but true faith always bears fruit. Uh, we are not saved by our fruit, but without fruit, our faith is empty. That is, again, the teaching of the Scriptures. And so we see here, I think, the explanation of the king. If we know the king, if we have received his mercy and grace, then we will want to serve and care for the little ones, the least of the brothers of the king. I wonder if you've heard the story of a rich lady who had no husband or indeed any immediate family. Um, and she was aware that time was moving on, that um, eventually she would die. And she was concerned about her inheritance, who would get all the money she had. Now, she had a nephew, um, and her nephew was dreadfully nice to her, always very kind and considerate, always dropping by to say hello. But she didn't quite know if she could trust him. He seemed a, a little bit too nice, a little bit too sincere. And she wanted to find a way to really test his character, to see if he really did love her for who she was, or was it just her money? And so she devised a test. See, she um, took off her rich clothes and put on the clothes of a beggar. And she went out and sat on the street next to the house of the nephew. And she waited until the nephew came out. And he saw this old lady dressed up in the clothes of a beggar. And he was rude and scornful. And he walked by and neglected her. And she knew there and then that she had an insight into the character of her nephew. Oh, he could pay lip service. He could be dreadfully nice to the lady when... He knew that he might win her favor, but in his heart, he was not a person of love. He did not love her. He did not love others. It's not a perfect parallel, but I hope we can see the link with Jesus and his followers. It is possible to pay lip service to Jesus, to go through the motions, but to not love him, to not be someone who is overjoyed by the grace and mercy he offers on the cross. And one of the tests for each one of us, it, it, one of the tests if we really love Jesus, is do we love the needy and the poor and those who have nothing to love us back with? It's a test. It is not a way to be saved, but a test for us to understand if we know and love Jesus.
I should say that I think the issue here is not um, an issue of social action in general, but rather how we love and care for, in particular, the family of Christ. Let me try to explain. The key verse here, I think, is verse 40. We've read it already. Let me read it again. The king will, will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Least of these brothers. That, that's a key phrase. Throughout Matthew's gospel, the brothers are always fellow disciples of Christ. Um, I can give you one reference just to look at for now. Um, Matthew 12 you can find that on page 978 if you want to flick across. Matthew 12, verse 47. Don't worry, I can, I can read it to you if you want. Um, Matthew 12, verse 47. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. There are other such references, but consistently Jesus is clear. His brothers are those who are followers of Jesus. Not the world in general, but rather the family of Christ. So the focus here is on how we have or how we will love and care for and be loyal to the family of Christ. Now, please don't misunderstand me here. I am not saying that social action is not crucial. The Bible screams out to us that we must, as Christians, be those who are first to love and care for those who are downtrodden and who are needy and poor and broken. We must do that. I just don't think this passage is talking about that particular issue. No, it's rather, how do we feel about the body of Christ? You see, if we love Christ, then we will love his family. We will love his children, his offspring. So what does this all mean for us tonight as we finish? Well, the context of Matthew 25 is the fall of the temple and the upcoming persecution for the followers of Christ and I think we see here um, the call to stand with the, the brothers of Christ when persecution comes. That is why uh, we are told to provide food for those who are hungry and water for those who are thirsty and, and clothes for those who are naked and to visit those in prison. We're being told here about how to view other Christians when they're being persecuted, uh, when they're going through it because of their faith. Now in this country we, we don't, receive much direct persecution, I think. Um, if I preached this sermon in a Muslim country, or maybe in China, it wouldn't be hard to apply. No, to, to stand up for a brother and sister in Christ would mean going to prison. It would mean providing food for those who had no food. It would mean taking flack, taking a risk, having to be loyal when it would cost you. I think that is the context behind Jesus' words. But of course, we can stand with the church globally who are being persecuted. We can pray for, we can find out about what's happening. We can invest energy in researching it and, and praying for these people. Uh, one way you can do that is to speak to Matt Clayson. Matt, are you here tonight? There's Matt Clayson at the back. He's standing up waving. If you want to find out more about the persecuted church, Matt has lots of information. He'd love to see you. He can give you some email. Uh, uh, he can put on an email list, give you some links 
But that is one way for us to start to stand with the body of Christ, is to pray for and care for those who are being persecuted. But closer to home, we can experience persecution, can't we? In the office, imagine a Christian colleague is out of the room and the, his, his office colleagues are starting to banter about the Christian. You know, he, you know he, he's always doing good for other people. He's always trying to tell them about Jesus, always, you know, doing this and that, starting to have a bit of banter about being a Christian. What do we do? Do we just lower ourselves down and keep typing on a keyboard? Or do we say, actually, guys, I'm a Christian as well. And what you're saying, I mean, actually, I'm a Christian, and you're saying that to me as well, and I, I care about what you're talking about. We are called to be loyal, to stand with uh, Christ's brothers and sisters. I think we can talk about a more general application, the, the need to care for any Christian who is in need, who, who needs our help. So um, someone who, who needs a lift to church, will we offer to drive them to church? Someone who needs um, just some extra friendship and, and care. Maybe someone who's new to church tonight who obviously doesn't know anybody, would we go over and say hello and just spend some time looking after them? Maybe offering someone a meal, just hospitality, looking after the needs of others. All these things are hallmarks of, of a love for the family of Christ. The explanation of the king. As I finish, I want to just be really clear. Indeed, as I finish the whole, the whole series that we've been looking at, uh, Matthew, Matthew 25, what I don't want us to do is to go away tonight and to try really hard to be like sheep. In other words, to try really hard to do all the obvious things, to look after other Christians in really obvious ways, and to therefore feel good about ourselves, or to really strive to do that. That is not the point of tonight's sermon. The point of tonight's sermon is this. Do we love Jesus? Do we know Jesus? Have we experienced his love and mercy and forgiveness? Or think back to this point last year. Have we grown in our love for Jesus since last year? What are we doing day in, day out to cultivate our love for Jesus? How are we feeding ourselves on the gospel? How are we drawing closer and closer to Jesus? That is the question for us tonight. If we are loving Jesus, then almost instinctively, naturally, we will love his family. The, the sheep were surprised to be told that they were loving Jesus when they cared for the poor. It just came naturally. They didn't have to strive and work at it. But they knew Jesus. So I'm not saying to us tonight to go away and try really hard to love other people. No, I want us to really think, am I growing in my love for Jesus? What am I doing to love him more? And on that day when Christ returns, if we've invested in our relationship with the king, we need not fear at all when he comes. Indeed, we can look forward to it with joy and anticipation, knowing what lies ahead of us. But let's make sure we are loving the king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have shown us what to expect in the future. Thank you that we need not be uncertain 
Our Father, please, would you help us to think much of the return of Christ? And most of all, Father, would you help us to be those who love your King, who love him because he first died for us. Amen.